Hello and welcome to the London Node User Group podcast. I'm here with one of the City JS organisers, Aris. How are you doing, Aris? I'm very good, and you? Very well, thank you. You're you're the first person we've had coming back on the LNO podcast. It's very nice to have you here again. Thank you very much for having me. I hear you're going to be running another City JS soon. Yes, we are having a, a City JS 2021 on the 24th uh, to the 26th of March, a three days event. Excellent. And we're going to be doing, in the same way we did um, last time, we're going to be speaking to a number of your speakers, um, just asking them what, what they're going to be talking about. Do you want to do you want to go through a little bit about the, the content that you're going to have at this, this year's CityJS and how it's going to work? So um, coming back uh, to 20, from 2020, um, 2020 for us was a, a year of um, adaptation. We had to go from an in-person event where we had to postpone it first, and then we had to do um, an event that it was going to be an online event. Um, that event uh, was very successful. We had uh, 5,000 people watching online through a YouTube uh, stream and our website. And we had a lot of people uh, interacting inside the uh, platform. Uh, this year, we we bring you uh, a lot of uh, speakers that we had last year. For example, uh, Debbie um, from Next.js, yeah. uh, Dylan Seaman, uh, Maya Savin, Luciano Mamino. He's going to be doing a workshop in Node.js. Matteo Colina. But we also bring you a really amazing lineup uh, with new people like Gleb Bakhmutov, Natalia Teplugina, Guillermo uh, Rauch from uh, uh, he's the Versal CEO on the next JS. Okay. Uh, Great to know. Um, Beth Griggs and another Tabit from AWS. Okay, and are they are they talking about a particular topic or an area, or is it what what are they going to be talking about? So we are covering a, a number of topics. Like um, um, Cleb is going to be talking about uh, TTT documentation, and Natalia is going to be touching on um, Vue.js composition API, and uh, then uh, there are a lot of interesting talks uh, about how we can improve our code and how we can get better with uh, our uh, below JS, and there's like a, a number of uh, good uh, subjects and points uh, to be covered during those three days. So you say it's three days, is that three days of talks or have you got workshops in there, how's that going to get broken down? Uh, we have three days of, uh, of talks and in between we have also the workshops. The workshops are, um, uh, some of them 45 minutes, some of them will be an hour, and some of them would gonna be four hours, so there are like different kind of um, um, time lengths. Okay, and if people would like to get CityJS tickets, what's the what's the best so way of doing that? Our tickets are uh, are online. They are uh, cityjs dot dot org slash buy tickets. Um, we are uh, we having uh, like really low prices for thirty pounds for three days. It's the lowest price you can find in uh, in conferences because, uh, as you know, we are not um, uh, we're a community conference, and our aim is to get the money for the production of the event. Um, 
And uh, but we are also giving tickets to communities around the world. We are com- communicating at the moment with communities in Kenya and Nigeria. So if there are any organizers that they want to get tickets for their community, they can DM us on Twitter or they can send us an email at ctjs at uh, ctjsconf at gmail.com. Excellent. Okay, that's really good. Um, anything else about the event you particularly like to tell our, our listeners? So this year, we are going to be doing something really spectacular. We're going to be using a new tool um, uh, that it's more like a game and a way that you can interact with other developers. Uh, we have been working with a team of architects and uh, that they are creating a, a special layout for us. You've probably seen a few tweets that I've done during the weekend. And and we basically going to be able to walk around with our keyboards, you know, your up and down uh, keys. If you want to select an object, you can select X. So it's very, very interactive. You can open your cameras. This tool is called Cathertown. And uh, basically, it's part of the production of the, the whole show. And it's going to be really fun. Okay, what was it? Cover Town, did you say? Gather Town. Gather Town. Okay, we'll get a we'll get a link in the show notes for that one. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Um, well, I think we're going to have a few interviews now with some of your your speakers. Um, so we'll jump straight into that. But thank you very much, Aris. We really appreciate the work you do um, in organising the conference and keeping us connected in this rather strange world we find ourselves in at the moment. Yes, thank you, Simon, for uh, for also doing this for us. It's a uh, you know it's the second time you're doing it for us, and it's a really big pleasure to have you with us. Uh, it's a pleasure to do it. Thank you very much, Aris. Take care. Thank you. I'm here with Ada Rose Cannon, who is going to talk about some of the things she's going to be looking at at City JS. Hello, Ada. Thank you for joining us. Hi, oh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Would you like to introduce yourself to start with? Hi, so I'm Ada Rose Cannon. I'm a developer advocate for the Android web browser, Samsung Internet. And I'm also co-chair of the Immersive Web Working Group and Immersive Web Community Group for the W3C. And these are the two groups that work together to develop the the WebXR device API and the related APIs, essentially with the groups designing the APIs to do virtual reality and augmented reality with web technology. Wow, that, that's quite a big job that you got yourself across two different two different places. Yeah, no rest for the wicked. Uh, what what exactly does a W three C working group co chair do? What, what's your responsibilities there? Uh, mostly, I um, I help manage the agenda, um, wrangle the meetings, try and ensure that the that the work gets done, and um, like maintains a steady pace. Fortunately, my group is really good. I don't have to chase many people up about things but generally ensure like a good environment for the work to get done i don't actually do much of the standardization work myself um mostly just help organize stuff and and let everyone else uh actually get on with the standard writing but it does mean that i have to be aware of all the things that are happening which is can be a lot Hmm. must be quite interesting too though how did you get involved in doing that um so I initially joined the Immersive Web Community Group. Um, this was many years ago. Um, so there used to be an, a web API called the Web VR API. Um, 
this was a very popular, well, well loved, um, att early attempt at doing virtual reality in the web. Um, unfortunately it never got fully standardized. Um, but anyway, the group that was standardizing that was the web VR community group in the W3C. I joined that cause I wanted to take part. And then, um, when, when the group was, um, when we realized that web VR just wouldn't cut it and we needed to take a new approach from the beginning with like a proper working group and, and lots more companies on board. Um, we spun up the WebXR, we spun up the group to handle the WebXR device API, which was the new API. Um, and they asked me to be chair uh, when that got spun up. So I've been kind of with it from the start, really. Oh, nice. If, if people wanted to get involved in that sort of thing with the W3C, is there an obvious entry point or, or yeah. how would they go about doing that? Um, so as I mentioned earlier, when I introduced myself, there are two groups, there's the community group and the working group. And as you can imagine, with sharing chairs and sharing lots of things, they're very, very closely linked. They're like totally intertwined. Um, so um, it kind of depends on, do you work for an organization that is a member of the W3C already or wants to be a member, in which case you can um, you can ask your AC rep to um, to let you join the, the working group and then you'll be assigned to the group and you can help out. Otherwise, um, if, you're, if your company you work for isn't part of the W3C and they're not willing to join, you can join the community group where lots and lots of work gets done there. Like the work is kind of split so that um, most of the like the the rough blocking out of what API shape should be, and the majority of the API shape gets done in the community group where anyone can participate, and it's only taken into the working group to be finished off to have different kinds of reviews done to it to make sure it's um, accessible and secure, maintains user privacy and stuff like that, and then that feedback is used to, to polish off the API and get it um, to a suitable state where it'll be good to have in web browsers. Um, okay, so that, that covers XR, augmented reality and VR, virtual reality, right? So XR is kind of like, so I think it stands for like cross reality. Um, oh, okay. It's basically the combination of, of, it's like the umbrella term for like any reality in air quotes. Um, uh, technology. So augmented reality, mixed reality, virtual reality, all of that just comes under XR. Um, okay. And so the WebXR device API is just an API designed to handle all of those things. Okay. And, and do you see either or any particular part of it take, getting more momentum at the moment, like the augmented versus virtual, or where do you, um, what do you see happening? So virtual reality in the web isn't isn't a new thing. Um, so the, I mentioned web the web VR API before. It had a, a very similar API to to WebXR itself, and has had for the last maybe about five years has had like its, it's time in the sun, and it's very and it was very popular at the time. But now people are generally slightly moving away from VR. Um, just because still not a lot of people have VR headsets. Um, okay. Like lots of people got the Oculus Quest 2 for Christmas this year. So there's definitely like more people now, like a lot more than there were ever before. Um, okay. But it's easier to reach people with, with AR. 
Um, so anyone with a handset can do augmented reality through the through the phone. You don't need a, a special augmented reality headset or a mixed reality headset uh, to do it. Um, but the API itself for doing augmented reality through the web is very, very new. Like it's less than a year old. Um, it's still being standardized. Um, it's it's pretty solid right now, um, but it's still um, it's still really um, early days for it yet. So we're trying to build momentum behind augmented reality at the moment. Um, but of course, like virtual reality is really really important to us as well. But it's such it's it's been around a long time. It's been supported in headsets a long time. There's not a lot of active work going on there at the moment. So it's it's very stable. And I'm really hoping um, to start seeing developers um, build stuff that works for VR and AR um, at the same time, depending on what kind of headset the user has. Okay. I, I was just thinking what you said about VR there. Um, Mm. Am I right in thinking you can still do VR with a phone through the cardboard thing? Oh yes, that uh, that's supported through the WebXR device API, and it's um, uh, the Google um, the Google VR um, system in Android. I've forgotten the VR Core they might call it. I can't remember. Um, anyway, in Android, um, the WebXR device API will hook into that to do. Um, to do VR through the cardboard. So if you have a if you have a phone and a and a cardboard headset, you can use that too. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, um, where are we at with these questions? Um, if if people want to get into XR and VR and things like that, where, is there a good starting point? Is there a good mm. library to look at, or what's, where should they go to? So it depends what the person's background is. Really, if you're coming, if you want to get into WebXR from a graphics background then maybe something more like 3JS or Babylon, something more like coding heavy, um, which really lets you get straight into the guts of um, of graphics programming and uh, build something really cool and amazing. Um, if you're coming at, as a, coming at it from a web developer standpoint, which I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast will be, then I probably right. recommend using something like A-Frame. Yep. Um, so A-Frame is a is a web component wrapper around 3JS. So essentially what this means is that you write HTML as in web components in a normal HTML document, and you get a WebXR ready, so ready for AR and ready for VR scene that's ready to go out the box with just a few lines of HTML. But the nice thing is because it's a wrapper around 3JS, it's incredibly extensible and everything you learn building like A-frame components, and then the deeper you get into it, you're learning all the stuff you need to just build a site with 3JS. Um, so it's really a nice way to work. So even though, like I, I myself have more of a graphics background, well, actually I have more. I have a both background. Um, but um, even though I myself would tend to um, prefer to dive into to 3JS traditionally, I will often still use A-frame to get a project going. And then we'll um, build the components I need using 3JS, and then I can release them as as components that other people in the A-Frame community can use. So, sorry, just to go back to A-Frame, you say mm. you, you write you write HTML. Yes. Does that kind of get compiled to WebGL in the background? Then is that or what's actually going on behind the scenes? Um, so behind the scenes, it's um, just it's making the the calls against the 3JS library. 
um, which will then com- like put together shaders and um, okay. and st- and build all the the objects and stuff like that. So it's um, you're essentially still running three JS. Yeah. So you can't just take HTML and drop it straight in. There's going to be a level of it's so, not going to work straight away, probably. The thing which you can't do, for example, is um, you can't use HTML elements in WebGL. Like that's just not a thing you can do. Um, so this is pure. So this is you write HTML to describe a WebGL scene, and then it builds up the the three JS scene and and displays it. Um, and okay. and not being able to display HTML in WebGL is a bit of an issue, especially for um, for WebXRs. People will want to make user interfaces. Um, um, out of HTML and CSS because that's what we do as web developers in order to show people um, how to use their apps. Unfortunately, that's very difficult to do because WebXR is a WebGL only API, um, which means you start having to build the interfaces out of various WebGL components. And text and WebGL don't aren't like best of friends. Um, and so being able to get people to use um, HTML in WebGL for the purposes of WebXR is one of the problems which we're trying to tackle at the moment um, Okay. Um, in the immersive web groups. So it might be possible at some point in the future, just not, not currently. Exactly, yeah. Um, like the closest we've got at the moment, we have an API that's landed called the DOM Overlay API that oh, yeah. is really designed to work for um, augmented reality through handsets. Um, but will hopefully work for um, for other use cases such as mixed reality headsets and virtual reality headsets in the future. Um, but you don't have any, con- which gives you a like a little virtual DOM window. So you can say, I want this element to be in my WebXR scene, and then it will place it in your scene, but you don't get to control where it goes. Um, and right now for... for um, augmented reality on smartphones, that will essentially be full screen overlaying everything. So essentially you can give yourself buttons on the screen to push. Um, and it works really well and it's a really great way to to get good interfaces in augmented reality, but then, then you have to detect whether or not it's worked. And then if it hasn't worked, you have to fall back to a different, a different okay. path. Because if they're using it through a virtual reality headset or an AR headset, the API probably isn't available at the moment. Got you. So, what, what's is that? Is that stable at the moment, or is how far away is that from being? Um, that's pretty stable. Um, it's in the it's in the working group. I don't think there's too many changes that need to happen to it. Um, and um, it has an implementation in newer versions of Chrome. It's hopefully going to come to Samsung Internet soon. Uh, we don't have it in our browser yet. Um, and I don't think any other browsers have it yet. Um, you, you said that with a slight smile on your face there, I noticed. Um, <laughs> well, it's landing. That's what makes me happy, like that it's in a browser. Like it's always amazing to see stuff that you've worked on actually land in browsers for people to use. That's very exciting. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about A-Frame, you've kind of rendered the question um, mm. not so relevant now, but maybe it does have relation to the other thing. Uh, 
progressive enhancement, is there an, even a level of that with, with any of this XR stuff? Or is, I guess if it's all WebGL, the answer is no. Uh, um, progressive enhancement for WebXR kind of leans more on the side of look at what, like when you're doing progressive enhancement in the web anyway, you're basically seeing what hardware does the user have? How can I support that the best I can with what I have available? Yeah, And it's very much the same here, but instead of looking at, okay, they support these kind of APIs and this kind of code, it's saying, okay, they have this particular hardware, what's the best way can I, I can support that? So, so this user is using a, um, a mid-range smartphone to do augmented reality. I can show them like a, a medium level model um, and they can interact with it through augmented reality and the DOM overlay API. Whereas another user might be doing something like having a um, having a standalone VR headset, sorry, sorry, having a tethered VR headset connected to a very high-powered gaming PC, and then you can be, then you can pull out all yeah. the stops, do fancy shaders. Um, they'll probably have two tracked motion controllers, so you can have them reaching out and grabbing stuff and pulling stuff out the air. Um, yeah. So it's very much, um, it's very much like seeing what hardware the user has and then giving them the appropriate. Um, interaction models and a WebXR device API is designed so that if you write code in a pretty generic fashion, it'll probably work quite well with whatever hardware the user's doing. Um, I, but it is very easy to do stuff like accidentally make something that will only work on handheld AR, even though it should in theory work on a mixed reality headset or a virtual reality headset too. Got so, so you need to, you need to think about the the different places it will get used. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're not you're not in control of the execution environment in the same in the same way, I guess. Yeah, you're really not. Um, I mean, it kind of feels like the the era when um, mobile phones were first coming around. Um, this might give away my age a little bit here when I talk about like being a developer at the age of when when mobile phone interfaces were, were brand new and we, no one knew what to do with them. Um, but this feels very much like the same thing. Um, okay. So instead of, but now instead of worrying about like supporting a variety of screen sizes, it's, it's working, it's supporting a variety of different formats. So this computer might be strapped to the user's face, whereas that another one might be in their hand. Um, Yep, I guess the actual way of interacting is vastly different. Mm. Okay, all right. Um, I, I'm kind of interested to to hear about your tech stack a little bit. I guess I guess from a W3C point of view, but also what you're doing at Samsung. I mean, what what is your tech stack that you use for building things? Um, so I don't do a lot of, a lot of coding within the W3C. Like most of the standards work, um, um, just uses. Um, like bike shed to compile the IDL. Um, and I don't know the details of that. Um, thankfully some of my colleagues at the W3C always set that up for me. Um, so, um, but personally, uh, my tech stack is usually a very simple one. So as a developer advocate, I try to write code that's accessible to anyone. So anyone could look at the source code. There's not going to be too many files. Nothing's going to be compiled. They can just look at it, see what's happening. And if they wanted to, they could download it and throw it up on a server themselves. 
So most things I'm doing are just um, vanilla JavaScript, um, uh, really semantic, accessible HTML, um, hosted on a on a very generic static server. Um, nice. If I if I need to do something more complex, um, then uh, recently I've been doing more stuff. Um, uh, well, I'll use a, like a static HTML site generator. So I normally use something like Jekyll um, just because it's built into GitHub pages, which, <laughs> yeah. which which saves me a lot of time. Also means I don't have to do any build steps, so I can just make changes and just push them up and don't have to worry about compiling anything. But recently I've been looking at 11T and I have to admit, yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, and then if I want to do stuff that's like even more complex than that, um, then I'll usually have a a pretty basic um, uh, either Node Node with Express because lots of people are familiar with it, or I use something like Dino uh, because I really like using TypeScript. I think TypeScript's like really fun to use as a developer. Um, I mean, generally for like I don't recommend TypeScript being used for front end code um, okay. because like. When it's compiled, it's not very efficient. It's pretty big and bloaty. Um, like, I guess we should mention you've got a background in performance as well. Oh yeah, so I got <laughs> I got into web development mostly as a, with a focus on web performance, and and it's an issue which has only got worse as time's gone on because um, the weird thing with um, um, with mobile phone performance is that the bottom line hasn't really improved of what you're trying to support. Like, like making new chip dies is really expensive. Um, okay. so, so your pretty basic phone isn't so much better now as it was like five or seven years ago. Like there's not a significant improvement there. Yet all the phones that developers are using, like top of the line Galaxy phones and iPhones um, and writing... Um, are blazing fast and so if you write a website on your um on your brand new macbook pro and you push it out and you test it on your on your brand new iphone you're gonna have a great experience and yet yep. you load it up on like a moto g4 and it's gonna take 10 seconds just to parse the javascript not even to like download it and run it and stuff just the it's got the file. It's now got to parse it. So, um, are you saying that because it's been compiled, because it's, it's JavaScript when it hits the browser? So, yeah. just the fact that it's been compiled from TypeScript makes it less performance script. Yes, that's correct. Um, and it's a similar story with with React as well. Um, like there are some more um, performance focused alternatives like Preact, and I, and Vue is pretty good as well. But React itself is pretty. Um, pretty bulky um so it's generally the kind of thing where um like if you can do most of this stuff on your server side and, and just ship html and minimal javascript it's kind of why i love static static yeah. sites so much because you can like you can tune the heck out of them performance wise and get them to be blazing fast on like all devices um so oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you are using TypeScript, but only on the server. Yeah, I love using it. If I could, if I could efficiently use TypeScript everywhere, I'd be very happy because I actually 
I like typed languages. I know that's kind of weird as a JavaScript developer to say, but yeah, I kind of like them. Um, um, but yeah, I only I only use TypeScript on the server, really. No, it's interesting. I'm I'm still trying to set up a show that's like Node versus TypeScript and get one person from one side and one from the other, but we we don't need to go into that now. Um, I think they're both pretty great. I'll be honest. Like, use whatever you come. Like, people have all these like flame wars over this kind of stuff, but yeah. whatever you're most comfortable using will let you develop code the fastest. And um, and the, 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 the one place where that's the exception is when you're shipping code to the client, in which case getting the best performance is, um, is probably you should be your number one priority because, um, well, hashtag perf matters. <laughs> but um, like you're one developer and so if it takes you a few extra hours to 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 make something that's going to be really fast, but then a million people are using it and it's going to take them an extra 10 seconds to load it, those 10 seconds add up and you're wasting a lot of people's time and money, their battery, like... Right, right for your reader, not for the writer. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, um... You, you mentioned that you're using Node and Deno. Is there a particular reason that you'd use one over the other in a particular situation? So I would probably use um, Deno if um, um, if it was just me developing on it or one of my other colleagues who, who likes TypeScript. Um, it's, it's pretty fun to use. Um, but generally, if I'm doing stuff in... Um, and you can like run it on services like Glitch um, with a with a bit of tweaking. Um, but generally, if I'm just throwing something quickly together, I'll probably fall back to using Node just out of habit. Yeah. So it's pretty much whatever the mood strikes me. Really, there's not a strong advantage of one versus the other. That makes sense. So you've got all this stuff with the W3C, and you're doing work full time for Samsung as well. Do you, mm. do you have time for personal projects, or is it is it just work projects? Like thankfully, Samsung pay me to do web standards work, so that does come uh, out of out of my time. Um, but so much of the work I do for Samsung is is basically what I would be doing if Samsung wasn't paying me. So fortunately, this leaves my free time to do stuff I really like. Like I, I've just started building a Lego train that I'm very happy with. I'm um, I'm very jealous. I used to have Lego trains a very long time ago, but yes. I'm very nice. I, I've, I've been looking at Lego, uh, the Lego robots. Have you seen those? No, I haven't. I've been trying to justify my nephews being a little bit older just so that I can buy them for them, but uh, they're not quite old enough yet. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Samsung make a lot of devices. Uh, yes. Almost every type of device I can imagine, I think. Um, and uh, we're increasingly seeing browsers being put into those devices. Mm. Are, we, are we entering a world where all devices run Node or... A de every device has a browser in it, at least. Uh, where do you see this stuff heading? So I definitely see that as like two questions. So for the first one, does every device run Node? So it's kind of interesting. Now there are so many JavaScript developers in the world. A lot of devices are running some kind of um, Node-like backend uh, just because it makes it easier for their developers to make stuff and they can build stuff faster. And if you're a startup, and when you've got a limited time and budget, speed is of the essence. And so it's really interesting how many different smart things are running something that's node-like on the back end. Um, 
or even stuff like printers and all kinds of stuff have um, a node engine. Um, one thing that I think is really neat is that one thing I think is really neat is that Samsung, some Samsung engineers are working on um, a node library called JerryScript. Um, okay. And JerryScript is like a node-like environment designed to run on embedded devices. So you can write JavaScript, but then run it on like a microcontroller, which is extremely cool. Like it's extremely, extremely lightweight. It's really nice. Um, and I think there are some some other like um, like Node or JavaScript environments for microcontrollers um, out there, which is really, really neat. Because um, you can take advantage of this huge community and ecosystem to do hardware stuff, and hardware stuff has traditionally been extremely difficult. Hmm. Is, that all, yeah. is that all open source, or is that like an internal Samsung thing? I think it's open source, yeah. It's just called JerryScript. I think it's probably got a GitHub repo somewhere. Um, okay. So you said there was two questions there, I think. Oh, so the second one, browsers on devices. Um, so yes, yeah, Sam, you're right. Samsung has a lot of devices, and a lot of which have browsers on them. So... Um, this is kind of interesting because, um, so as I mentioned earlier, I work for a web browser called Samsung Internet. There's actually two Samsung Internets. There's the one I work for and the one I don't work for. Okay. Um, so the one I work for is Samsung Internet for Android. Um, so it runs on any Android phone. You can download it from the Play Store. It's a really, really good privacy-focused web browser. Um, and you should try it out. It's it's really great. Um the other, uh, sorry, that was just me putting in the pitch. No, it's for, absolutely, it's absolutely fine. You've got to make yourselves pitch. Um, and um, but yeah, the other Samsung Internet is the Samsung Internet you'll find on TVs and fridges and watches and um, various other bits and bobs that Samsung make, and that is a Tizen-based web browser. Um, uh, it's also running Chromium. Um, and yeah, it's kind of interesting that um, that there are um, web browsers and all kinds of things. It's kind of like the, you know, the kind of thing whenever there's a new piece of hardware, people try and get Doom Doom running on it. Yeah. Like I've seen Doom running on a pregnancy test before. Um, okay, I wasn't expecting that. And yeah, you can, and I think web browsers are like, after Doom, it's it's a web browser. That's the next thing that gets put on it. Um and so, yeah, I've seen web browsers put on all kinds of devices. But the kind of tricky thing here is that although it's really great that um, the web is so widely available, um, at least until recently, many of these browsers weren't evergreen. Um, so they would require a full system update to get the new version of the browser. And so um, often you'll have all this kind of weird hardware out in the wild running unpatched versions of web browsers, whether it's um, some kind of embedded browser, and often you get you get like embedded devices running some kind of embedded windows, which will just permanently have IE6 on them. And so you've basically got these, these huge array of devices with, um, with unpatched web browsers just waiting to be turned into a botnet. Um, to go back to your previous example, it's it's like running the outdated version of Doom on your pregnancy test. Is that is that kind of what we're saying? There? <laughs> yeah, um, at least unfortunately uh, they often aren't networked. At least, oh god, I hope so. <laughs> Internet of Things, do not make a pregnancy test, please. Um, 
Yeah, Bluetooth notification. It's, it's come true. Well done, you're pregnant. Um, oh, gosh. I, I'm i kind of skeptical about, um, about like, smart things in general. Like, I don't have any smart devices in my house. I don't have an Alexa. don't have a... And it's just like... Um, it's like I love the the Node and JavaScript ecosystem. There's there's some cool stuff coming out of startups, but I wouldn't trust them security wise um, to to be in my actually actually in my own home. Um, but like it's not as like nowadays it's better. People are more aware. Like more and more devices will have evergreen. If they if they have a web browser, the web browser will be evergreen. It will receive updates and um, will be will be more secure. Um, but, um, I dread to think how many, how many like five or six year old smart devices are out there just running node four yeah. connected, connected to a router, just waiting for someone to, to dial in. Uh, yeah. I hate to imagine. I mean, you mentioned that the browser that you work on is privacy focused. I mean, it's, mm. it's Android focused more is, is the intention to bring that onto more devices or is it very much focused around doing that on Android? Uh, we're only an Android browser um, because, like, like Samsung, Samsung make Android smartphones. Um, like, we're available on all smart on all Androids, not just um, Samsung ones. Um, but yeah, we're just right now we're only focused on being a the best Android web browser we can be. Okay, very interesting. I was going to ask you what the weirdest device you've seen a browser embedded in, but I think the pregnancy test covers it. I don't think we need to go into that question. Well, I haven't seen a browser in one yet, but that would be... Oh, God, now I've said that, someone is so definitely going to do that. Let's skip along quickly because I don't want to encourage that. Okay. <laughs> Are Samsung hiring? Is, is there any jobs at Samsung at the moment? Um, so I work for Samsung Research UK, um, and um, I think we can post a link later yeah, to... I'll stick it in the show um, notes, it's fine. Uh, to the Samsung Research hiring page. Um, Samsung Research are a really cool group to work for. Um, they do research in all kinds of amazing things, which I would probably be fired if I told you about. Um, but it's extremely cool and, um, like, yeah. Okay. I would definitely recommend taking a look into it. I'm not sure how much, how many openings there are for web-specific stuff, but with all the stuff nowadays that's being built on web technology, um, I hope there'll be something. Okay, we will. We'll put a, a link in the show notes um, and and take that from there. What What are you excited about in the future? I guess either from W three C or from Samsung. Is there anything coming out that you're particularly looking forward to or excited about? Um. So for from Samsung, the S twenty one Ultra just got announced, and it's a beautiful looking phone, and I kind of really want one. Um, also, the new folding phones are really nice. Um, Actually, there's speaking from the W3C. Actually, relatedly, there's a new API called um, the Screen Fold API that tells you the information about how a phone or a or a laptop has been folded. Okay. So that you can build sites that will react to that, and then so you can place content like along the hinge, uh -huh. and so you can have like a video playing on the on the top bit, and have like a little interface in the bottom bit. And you can react to the angle and stuff like that. Like it's a really cool looking API. So I'm kind of like really interested in that right now. It looks really good. And some of my colleagues are working on it. Yeah. I guess once you've got the phone, it's a nice one to play with. Um, okay. Um, 
You're talking at CityJS. Do you want to just talk briefly about what you were going to be talking about at the CityJS? Hmm. So at CityJS, I'm going to be talking about A-Frame, like I mentioned earlier. Because um, A-Frame is, to me, the best way to get um, web developers into building WebXR stuff. Just because you can go from opening up a blank HTML document to having something running in a headset in a matter of seconds. Like, it's so fast. Um, there is very little boilerplate. It takes care of, like, much of the... the the stuff for you so you can you can make small text changes and you because it's declarative you just describe your scene and then it it renders it and it's a really nice way to work and i think it's a really like good way to get started quickly okay and will that be like specific examples or, or just a top level overview of how it works what kind of uh, um i'm probably um going to go through um um like how to set up a project, um, okay. how to add physics to it, how to add some objects, how to like build it and test on it, um, and and what it looks like when you put it through a phone. Okay, so some nice practical examples for people to pick up. Yeah, I'm also going to describe some of the things you can do with WebXR Device API. So as well as just showing stuff on the headsets, you can um, you can do stuff like hand tracking, controller tracking. You can um, cast like virtual rays out into the real world, see where it hits and then place a virtual object there. So uh, you could place like a 3D object on the floor of your living room or, or on the wall of your house or something. Was that the basketball demo I saw you that you did where you throw the ball and it goes in the net? Was that using that? Yeah, that was me who did that, yeah. Got you. Very nice. And that was an interesting demo. So I made that from scratch, live on camera in four and a half hours, like a full game which you can play. Um, and that was all done with A-Frame. Like, nice. like I said, you can build stuff really quickly. Um, and so it's, um, yeah, I really hope to encourage more developers to, to get out there and build stuff for, for AR and VR stuff. Cause it's really cool technology that's pretty widely available now. Yep. And so like, what better way to, to show off something really cool than, than putting someone into a virtual world. Yeah, very much so. Just just doing a bit of research for this podcast, I found myself thinking of all sorts of ideas that, um, that we could use it for. Um, one last, we're going to have to round up quite soon. We like to do module mm. of the month. Um, it's just an opportunity for you to talk about a module that you you think is interesting or that you've, it could be your own module, someone else's module. Is there a module that you'd like to nominate for module of the month? Mm. Well, I'm actually going to put, put forward A-frame here. Okay. because Perfectly fine. Like I've I've talked about it enough um, throughout this podcast, so I think it would be a bit hypocritical of me if I didn't put it forward to us through as module of the month. That's brilliant. Well, thank you very much. We'll make sure there is all the links um, in the show notes. Anything you'd like to say before we finish up here? Um, I'd check out Samsung Internet. Like we're a really good web browser, um, and if you want to get uh, participate in the immersive web working group or community group we'll be really happy to have more people helping out brilliant well thank you very much ada we appreciate your time and we look forward to hearing more about what you've got to say at city js great thank you so much i'm looking forward to it thank you <laughs>